Welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast, your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. And we hope you all want to level up along with us. Welcome once again to the Discerning Gamer Podcast for another week. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And we've got a lot of news, a lot of a lot of content packed into this little schedule for you this week. Uh, I am your host, Joel JB Fury Bo Shane, and as always, uh, I have with me the inimitable DG crew, and in no particular order, here they are. We have the gaming chef, who, much like Lanky Kong, is a buffoonish orangutan who can stretch his body. <laughs> It's Simon Steely McLaughlin. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Steely. Thank you so much, Joel. There is one part of my body in particular I like to stretch, um, and I'm going to leave it to your imagination. Well, thank you for that My image. arms, Joel, my arms. I like to stretch my arms oh, of because course. we're gamers. Of course, you need my to arms. stretch your arms. Uh, <laughs> wow. Thank you, Simon. I need to... Uh, I need to have a bit of, bit of brainwash now to uh, just uh, clear those images out of my head. Uh, also with us, we have the Nintendo Queen with various parkour skills that would rival Aiden Caldwell and who also uses tools such as a grappling hook and a paraglider to aid her traversal in the city. It's Casey C. Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, C. Mac. Thanks, Joel. I wish I was that cool, but thank you. <laughs> and finally, we have the PC gamer, of course, the Sultan of Steam. Uh, he's one of the biggest contributors to Gabe Newell's estimated $3.9 billion fortune. It's Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Welcome to the show, Fergus. G'day, JB. How are you, mate? Oh, I am fantastic, fantastic. And you know what? Speaking of uh, Gabe Newell's uh, $3.9 billion fortune... I thought we'd uh, we'd kick off this week uh, with with a little bit of uh, uh, news, a bit of insight, um, a little bit of an in-depth look at uh, a little device that Valve have released uh, only a few months ago called the Steam Deck. Ooh. Yeah. So um, we did we did touch on this last week, and uh, I, I got the feeling that maybe. Um, not not every member of the DG crew might have been across that one, um, so I thought maybe maybe it might be a good opportunity to dive into a little bit more detail on what the Steam Deck is and uh, what it's all about. So uh, first off, um, C Mac, uh, have you you got much um, insight into the Steam Deck? Have you have you read much about it? Do you know what it's all about? Just about what we talked about last week. I was looking up up what we were talking, but. Um, yeah, what a portable console where you can play Steam games is, is what I understand. <laughs> yeah, much. well, that's pretty much. I guess yeah. that's it in a nutshell. Uh, but uh, just to, to dive into a bit of the detail, here we go. So 
The Steam Deck is out now in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. Customers are already uh, exploring the handheld's powerful gaming capabilities. As for an Australian release, it's still a waiting game. We don't know when the console will arrive in Australia. But what we do know is that Valve has previously had a relationship with EB Games for its hardware releases, including the recent Valve Index VR unit and the Steam controller. May it rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would be a safe (laughs) bet to expect it to show up at EB when stockists are announced. So Australia is not on the list of uh, four territories that will receive the device in its initial rollout. Uh, Obviously, that's the places that I've... uh, mentioned earlier um can you pre-order the steam deck in australia well no uh, you can't uh not yet at least uh so uh, again given the expectation eb games will be the preferred retail partner um but uh you know if if anyone absolutely cannot wait uh there are still ways to uh get one from u.s suppliers it's just going to take a bit of extra work to uh sort out so on the issue of price, Valve has not yet announced Australian pricing for the Steam Deck, although we do have American pricing and we can sort of get a bit of an idea mm. on uh, what it's going to be uh, based off that. So uh, for the 64 gig version, uh, the unit is retailing for 399 in the US, which equates to about $550 in Australia. Uh, then there's... A 256 gig version for $529 US, which is about $730 Australian. And then there's a $649 version, uh, which comes with 512 gig. And um, that would retail in Australia for around $900. So we're starting mm. to get up there. We're starting Gosh. to we're starting to sort of uh, push beyond, you know, what, what you'd be paying for a next-gen console if they were actually available on the shelves. Um, but it is also expandable with a micro SD slot, so you can always uh, ah. bang a bit of extra uh, memory into it. Yep. Um, so what are the specs on the Steam Deck? Well, that's a good question, and and here here we go. We've got an AMD Zen two uh, CPU. Um, I don't know if that means much to you guys. As far as a GPU, it's it's got an AMD RDNA 2. It's got 16 meg of RAM in it. Um, 16 meg, 16 gig of RAM yeah. of DDR5. <laughs> uh, and then all the storage is done on a solid state uh, SSD for the two higher end units. Uh, the 64 gig one is is not. As, as fancy so you'd, you'd imagine that the uh, uh, the speed and everything wouldn't be quite as good on the the real entry level model um, it comes with a 1280 by 800 touchscreen 7 inch LCD mm. uh, stereo speakers 3.5 mil jack for headphones dual mics uh, USB type C and Bluetooth connectivity uh, Wi-Fi and uh, it's got support for DisplayPort 1.4, so you can always hook it up to a standard uh, PC monitor if you want to, you know, use it in the same way you would a conventional uh, PC. So, um, as far as the specs go, it's fairly powerful for a handheld device and beefy enough to handle most modern games. 
on at least high settings. Uh, although if you're shooting for 60 frames per second, you want to take things down to medium to uh, get a smoother experience. So kind of like the trade-off that you get when, you, uh, when you're when you playing a next-gen console and you want to go for a performance mode versus uh, speed mode, you know, so... Um, even even on those consoles, you're still going to make a bit of a bit of a compromise. Um, it's a familiar handheld design. Grips at the rear and uh, face buttons on the left and right of the screen. Um, it it's very similar to the Nintendo Switch in terms of the uh, the two thumbsticks are sort of offset to one another. Um, yeah, I mean, its its operating system is Linux-based and uh, it's a operating system called Steam OS that integrates very nicely with, with Steam um, as, as you would on a, a PC. And it's very customizable. You can, you can mod it. There's uh, case mods and different parts and things that you can fit to the device. Um, and yeah, as far as gameplay is concerned... Uh, there's a list of Steam Deck verified games that have been optimized for play on the hardware. And as far as I'm aware, I've heard that there's a there's about 9,000 games on Steam that have been verified for Steam Deck now. So uh, you're pretty well spoiled for choice. Uh, and the sort of games that you're seeing running on it now, um, I mean... Uh, even though I'm loath to sort of bring it up, uh, Elden Ring has been personally proven to run smoothly on the the handheld. Um, the guys at Valve, guys and girls, sorry, uh, actually ensured that Elden Ring would run on it. Um, so they they gave particular attention to that title because they knew it would be a, a pretty big draw card for the device. Um, so yeah, there's. And you can use it for more than just Steam games as well. There's people that have modded it and installed Windows on the device. You can mm-hmm. use it just as a regular PC if you really want to. Um, however, I'm told that the games that run in the Windows sort of install don't run quite as good as those that run natively in Steam OS. So there, there is a little bit of a trade-off when you want to start you know, going to that sort of uh, super customized um, sort of uh, yeah, I guess setup <coughs> on your on your device. So, um, sure. um, how does it compare to the competition? Um, so, there are a few other handhelds uh, on the market. Um, the Nintendo Switch, obviously. Is, is one big competitor to it, but um, doesn't even come close to the Steam Deck in terms of its its power and its capabilities. Um, but uh, other devices such as the Aya Neo and One X Player um, uh, feature comparable spec and come from companies far smaller than Valve. So mm-hmm. there are there are a few other options out there if uh, if you want to consider those, but um, I think the A and Neo is quite a bit more expensive. Like yeah, it's right. starting to get, you know, past the thousand dollar mark. So, and that's US. Um, <laughs> that's that's so, a lot of money when you consider what you can actually build as far as a desktop PC for the same price. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm I'm kind of thinking that this might be a a good option. Uh, like the Steam Deck might be a good option 
for playing a lot of those games that Microsoft have made exclusive now to Microsoft, you know, like uh, um, any of the games that Bethesda are bringing out, games like Starfield and and presumably um, the next uh, the next sort of foray into the Elder Scrolls series, whatever that uh, looks like. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not real keen on the idea of buying an Xbox Series X, but something like this where I could sort of take it with me on the go, yeah, I can see that being a, hmm. a pretty cool sort of option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, are you, what are you thinking, Steely? You know, I... Look- I'm weird with my switch. I'm with our switch. Part of me, sorry, love my life. Um, with, with our switch, I don't find the functionality to be able to take it on the go as something that I really use all that often. I mean, I, I use it kind of when we first got it because you know we didn't have kids yet, and taking it out on the go was really kind of just an easy. You just do it, and like I'd take it when I'd get the car to get service, so I had something to play while I was waiting and stuff like that. If you know, in case it wasn't around to pick me up and all that kind of stuff, so it was good. But I mean, I think I'm I'm just far more tailored towards wanting to play these games on a bigger screen and enjoy them while looking up and not having to look down or hold my hands up. I find that it just I don't know. I, if I, if, I mean, I'm on the other side of the fence. I'd sooner get an Xbox Series X and enjoy some of those Microsoft exclusives that look like they're going to be really cool um, on a big screen rather than on a handheld device. I think the ability to take that stuff on the go is really great, but um, uh, it's not something that I think is the be all and end all. And having that, I mean, having that choice with Switch to either have it on your TV or on the go is. I think what is so appealing about that console, you have the functionality of both, not just like the power of a PC in the palm of your hand, but I mean, any Nintendo game you want on the go and in your hand. And I think that that's kind of why that appeal is so strong with the Switch and why I think that the Steam Deck is obviously a really cool idea. And I think it's probably... I love the, yeah, I love the idea of it. I think it's great, but... The more I think, because I think, yes, I'm going to buy that straight away. That's the first thing mm. I thought. Yeah, definitely. But then I thought, when am I ever going to use it? Yeah. I do not have the time. When do we have a spare moment on the go? <laughs> and it's funny because you think about it's some a very of the, slight, a few people I feel like it would work for. You think about some of the PC games as well that would be available on there, which are really tailored more to a, a mouse and keyboard experience. And I mean, you brought up the the Steam controller as well. That thing was a hot mess and it was meant to be able to basically provide you with a functionality of, you know, playing PC games, but with a controller, with mappable buttons, with, you know, back triggers that can do certain things. And, and it was just, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess to use. And from me basically having seen that and seeing how difficult that was, I think to myself, well, I don't know, will the Steam Deck really hold up in that way? Maybe not. It might be great for all those really sort of mainstream, straightforward games that we we all know and love that are kind of easy to play, like third-person games, first-person shooters and things like that. But um, when it comes to the functionality of PC to handheld, I just don't know if it's... A- well, it's like games I like to play on Steam, a point-and-click sort of, you know, your, your two-point hospital, your Frostpunk mm. party hard. <laughs> I was playing before. That's all very like yeah mouse orientated so I, I i feel like it would be difficult with a what do you some call it? some of those games really really <laughs> lose something when you do make the transition from mouse and keyboard over to controller yeah. like yeah um one of my favorite 
series um, from days gone by was uh, the Constructor series of games. And um, they've, they've released like a, a brand new sort of entry into that series that uh, I found on um, PlayStation Store and I download it for PS5 mm-hmm. and I'm finding it really frustrating to play it with the controller. Um, I'm actually yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. buying it again on Steam so I can play it on PC with a mouse and keyboard because it's just really designed for that that type of interface. So well, I know that they've um released like Sims and stuff on all sorts of platforms, and I've never gotten it on like the Switch or the PlayStation. Yeah, and I just don't know how that would even work. How Sims would even work when it's it's so heavily based on clicking really quickly, sort of different scenarios. Yeah, like selecting. But I can just quickly. imagine slowly like yeah, <laughs> it's a pain up. in the ass. <laughs> it's an yeah, absolute no, pain in the ass on the PlayStation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we've got the Sims Four, and um, yeah, yeah. It, it just really loses something but uh, the yeah. kids the kids just like uh, cooking a, a cake letting it go bad and then forcing <laughs> the them to eat it and then vomit you know so <laughs> yeah. as long as they can do that they're, they're more than happy so uh, oh, yeah. yeah you really lose lose something as well once you get down to a smaller screen I mean they do them reasonably well but you can't substitute a mouse and keyboard on games where you've got you know, you're trying to control a number of units and you've got heaps of menus. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think too many people would be using a Steam Deck to uh, try yeah. to play Age of Empires or something silly like that. But, <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm still super excited about this one, JB. I, I think I'll definitely be getting one when it comes out. And I think, <clears throat> I, I agree with Simon, I don't think I would use it so much on the commute, maybe a little bit. Obviously, when we go away for holidays and stuff like that, it definitely you know, tag along. Yeah. But one thing that I really enjoy about my about using the Switch is basically just being able to sit on the couch and not you don't need the access to the TV. And one of the things with PC gaming is when you're in front of your computer, you're very much off in your own world, sitting in maybe an office or something by yourself. So yeah. I reckon the use that I'd get out of a, out of the Steam Deck is, yeah, being able to play my games on the couch. Um and, you know, still being present with, you know, partner and stuff like that and mm. and not be just in my dungeon, you know, sitting in front of my <laughs> computer. You, you get that, I get a balance between now to do two things at once, which I think is really good, which video games yeah. don't always do. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm keen to get one. Um, it's interesting. You made a couple of things I didn't read. I didn't know it was a touchscreen was one of them. And mm. it sounds like they've been a bit cheeky as well with their different um, hard drive sizes. So I think you said 64 and 256, but it sounded like the 256 had better specs. So yeah, well, I always hate when they sort of do that because you've got expandable memory and everyone would look at it and be like, well, I'll just get a 64 gigabyte version and expand the memory. But if that you're then sacrificing some performance, it's a bit mm. cheeky. You sort of have to be like, oh, well, do I just part with the money? It, it's an interesting one. But um, yeah, we continue to wait, Joel. I think... It's probably not going to be any time soon, unfortunately, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so with uh, just to clarify, um, the 64 gig version is shown as an EMMC, which is an embedded multimedia card. So it's like um, flash memory, but on a circuit board, basically. Whereas the 256 and 512 version are a proper NVMe SSD. Yeah. So similar to what you'd get in a yeah. 
you know a standard so computer or, quicker or a next gen console boot up so, faster and yeah, yeah you're going to get the speed benefit at least out of the 256 gig version but even then like with the size of games these days i mean um, the 64 gigabyte version wouldn't even be large mm. enough to install the latest Call of Duty, which is over yeah. 100 gigs. So, um, yeah, I wonder how they work. They must, yeah, they must be squashing the size of some of these games because you're right. There's a lot of games you download are 30, 40, 50 gigabytes. So you can, you know, obviously, the system's going to take up some of your 64. Yeah, maybe you, yeah, you have to expand your memory at that point. But well, that 64 gig version. You know, wouldn't even be big enough to play a lot of the really high end games. You'd you'd have to, you'd have to stick to some of the smaller indie titles uh, yeah. to get by with that one. But yeah. oh well. What know. about what about yourself, Joel? Any interest in the Steam Deck? Yeah, or? very much so. Um, so it's it's largely going to depend on price. I think mm. um, I'm very interested to see. I I know that they're saying you know one one to one the the conversion is going to be about nine hundred dollars for the for the real high end version, but I would we always hope, get shafted with import yeah. and stuff like that. So I'd hope they'd come out with a with a decent you know package, decent deal for Australian consumers because uh, nine hundred bucks for a handheld it's a is lot a, of money. It's a pretty steep. It's <laughs> a, a lot of money. It's a pretty steep ask. So and it's, yeah, what are you you're talking hundreds of dollars more than a PS Five at that point. Yeah, exactly, and I, yeah. I, I suppose what that really does is say to you, well, if I can get an Xbox Series X for seven hundred, or a Steam Deck for nine hundred, maybe this the Xbox is the better the better value proposition, especially with Games Pass and and a yeah. lot of those things. So, if you're not going to yeah. utilize, Simon says you're not going to utilize the portability of it as much. If that's not a huge thing, then yeah. Well, it's one of those things. If I was traveling for work, yeah, brilliant. Like, yeah. Uh, but. I I very rarely travel for work, so it's sort of it's one of those things. Oh yeah, it's nice to have if you have to go away for work, but then yeah. if you're not the sort of person yeah. who's traveling all the time, it's it's kind of kind of a bit redundant, I suppose. But yeah. um, I can see a lot of people who have got sort of longer commutes to work taking advantage of some of this stuff. Yeah, um, my commute's probably not quite long enough that it'd be worth you know whipping out a Steam Deck, and you wouldn't get enough. Game time into warrant carting it back and forth all the time. You probably just wouldn't bother, but you know, I know I can see some people that maybe live in some of the bigger cities, your Sydney's and Melbourne's, that have got a you know an hour plus commute. Might you know look at this as a you know this is time that I would I'd normally lose going to work. This is some time when I can catch up on some gaming, which which is awesome. Hmm. Well, I think uh, the Steam Deck will give you a nice car. Uh, a, a what? <laughs> Where are you getting these sound bites from, JB? Oh, mate, this uh, there's there's a never-ending cascade of uh, of of these sorts of sound effects. So, uh, same place you go to watch what was it Harry Potter? Yeah, and the Philosopher's Stone. What was that movie? <laughs> that's that's the one. Yeah, yeah, the Philosopher's Bone. I think it was. Uh, and, that was it. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Uh, moving on, uh, I'd like to hand over to C-Mac for a bit of news on uh, Hogwarts Legacy. Over to you. Yeah, speaking C-Mac. of Harry Potter. Yeah, what, a, what a segue. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> what yeah. a segue. No, yeah, today, um, I don't even know if it was today, but Avalanche Studios released some more information and some uh, sort of new footage detailing 
the PS5's next-gen immersion features, which makes the Harry Potter world feel more alive. And at the end of the sort of the video, they display the slogan, you know, um, Hogwarts Legacy, feel the magic at the end of it. So it was all about using the, um, yeah, the next-gen immersion features. So, you know, the first feature we see in the video, which is a bit, <laughs> is, is the light bar changes colour to your house colour when you enter your dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um yeah and they, they make it very very fancy looking like it's amazing and i was like yeah okay cool it's yellow your hufflepuff cool yeah. um yeah you can choose between 4k graphics or a higher frame rate like you were talking about before so that's pretty cool um full use of the adaptive triggers to you know to cast spells and things like that which i'm really excited for because i haven't like we haven't really had a chance to even fully use that with the PS5 yet. So that's exciting to actually see that the adaptive triggers are going to be used. Um, the haptic feedback, so to actually feel sensation of flight, to ride carts, to fight enemies, feeling that um, full rumble of the haptic feedback. And then, yeah, lastly, they both boast about the 3D audio, which will, you know, for us will be amazing because we have surround sound. So being able to hear it in full surround sound and it shows a pair of PlayStation headphones as well. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I had to say about that. It's just a little piece of information about the new game, which I'm very excited about. Very, wow. very cool. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. It's, it, it'll be interesting to see how they use that because <clears throat> this, uh, the, the controller, is it being utilized on, some of the old gen games that are coming to PS5? Is this something they've sort of haven't really been able to utilize as much as they wanted? Because Yeah, some of the older games have picked up on it. So like, for example, Cyberpunk now, if you buy the the it's not really a remaster, but the, the PS5 the PS5 yeah. version, it does yeah. have support for the for the um adaptive triggers and, and stuff like yeah, oh, cool. haptic feedback and stuff like that. And um Certainly, a lot of the the, the key next gen titles like uh, Horizon Forbidden West mm. uses those um, haptic triggers, uh, haptic feedback, and the adaptive triggers and everything quite extensively. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you got a war game. I think I sort of read an article during the week. They were talking about some of the ways they're gonna, you know, utilize the controller in that game as well. So yeah, it's cool. So yeah, it's excited. It, it is quite good. It is quite good. Um, all right, well, yeah. thank you very much for that, C-Mac. Uh, over to you, Simon, who uh, you're going to cover off a bit of uh, info on some Sega reboots, mate. Mm. Have you seen this? <laughs> Have you heard about this? Uh, Sega Sammy Group. Sega Sammy Group. That's that's what they're known as these days for all of you that didn't know because Sammy bought Sega and now it's Sega Sammy Group. Oh, I didn't know that. Sigur Group. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so there you go. That's all the news I had. No, it's not really. Uh, Sigur Sammy Group the other day uh, announced that it's going to start to leverage uh, some more existing and past IPs of remasters and remakes and even reboots of uh, a lot of their existing franchises um throughout the history of sega before it was sega sammy group and so um a couple of those titles that people are expecting to see uh, obviously uh, a fantasy star at some point i mean they obviously have detailed about the super games kind of thing that they're thinking of doing with crazy taxi and, and jet star radio That's our it. favorite newly, game of newly all sponsored time. newly sponsored yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um 
So, <laughs> um, I'm just thinking to myself, well, what's um, what's Sega what's Sega going to do? What are they going to re-release and reboot? It's gotten my um, fingertips tickly because, <laughs> I mean, there is a number of games that I think could could be rebooted successfully and remastered. I mean, we're obviously getting Sonic Origins soon. We got um, uh, Sonic Colors Seizures Ultimate, which came out not long ago as well. Um, for anyone that wanted to have an epileptic fit while playing a Sonic game, that's your go-to. Um, but I mean, I feel like this is um, this should be a good move from the company if they're going to do it right. I mean, I can already think of a couple of titles I'd like to see. I'd like to see Sonic Generations being brought into you know, 4K and, and you know, 60 FPS and looking super smooth and super smart, um, you know, on modern generation consoles. I mean, that that to me was probably one of my favourite Sonic experiences. I still think that the 2D Sonic was a bit blur, but um, I loved playing like 3D, um, the modern Sonic stages. They were really cool and uh, it was it's just a really fun little game. Um, so I'd love to see that come down. Even Sonic Unleashed, I really kind of, I didn't like the Werehog bits of that game, but the daylight stages were really, really cool and super fast. And it already looks really nice on um, PS3 and Xbox 360. Now being available um, to basically upgrade that game to, to 4K on Xbox um, via the Game Pass, I think it is, uh, is, is a really cool feature, but I'd like to see it kind of brought to more consoles and, and redone again, Um I feel like the Sonic Adventure series could really do with some kind of remaster, um, mainly because there's still a huge fan base for those games. And I feel like that they, even though it was a bit of a rocky transition into 3D for Sonic, I still feel like they kind of have captured the best elements of developing Sonic into, you know, a 3D space that, we could we could have seen i mean as long as they get rid of bigger the cat i don't mind i'm I'm happy to play sonic adventure one as a remaster but i don't know is there any sonic well not what, sonic games, what do you have games. what do you have against biggie the cat out of out of curiosity big, big the cat. <laughs> oh big the cat sorry we, we went through this we went through this uh not so long ago that that not big piece of, of shit just <laughs> stands there and fishes for a frog and i just just that yeah, should he should have died in the boardroom. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what, uh, so thinking of you guys, is there any kind of Seeger IP that you guys know of, or you've played that you've enjoyed, you'd like to see a reboot or a remaster of? Is there something that you feel like you know you'd like to see Seeger Sammy Group come out with the goods and, and release in the next few years? Or the Seeger was pretty much the only console I didn't own. <laughs> so my familiarity oh, with Sega asking is... the wrong guy. Yeah. Me too. I, I don't have a big list, Simon, sorry. Um, no, off the top of my head, not really. I did have a bit of a list, look through a list of um, games that came out of Sega over the years, and one that did catch my eyes. It wasn't Sega-specific IP. I can't even remember who the developer was, but did you guys ever come across James Pond? Oh, James the, Pond? <laughs> is he like a frog that's like, yeah... Like a, a bit of a parody of James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was looking through a list and I came across James Pond, who's this frog, and the whole game it's it's like a two D um, side scroller, but everything related to the game is all James Bond puns, and maybe some of the most horrific <laughs> box art I've ever seen. So I don't know, maybe that should get remastered. 
Yeah, well, potentially. Uh, what about, you know, bring back uh, Eco the Dolphin um, from 1992? <laughs> <laughs> a, could do with a bit of a remaster. Altered Beast. <laughs> Altered Beast remastered. <laughs> I, I don't know. Look, aside from the the obvious, like you know, Sonic the Hedgehogs and all that, I, I mean, I did have a Mega Drive back in the day, and you know, did find it fun. But a lot of the games that I found the most fun weren't exactly like Sega IP, you know, as such. Mm. I mean, Sega Rally that was good back in the day. Yeah. Like that was one of the better one of the like, ar- arcade games as well. Yeah, Sega Rally. that was that was a that was quite a good arcade racer. Um, if if you're into that sort of thing, and I'm pretty sure that Sega Rally did make its way to the original PlayStation at some point. I might be wrong there, but yeah, I, I think you've got a good point there. I think it might have because they kind of got to that point where they were starting to bring over the arcade games to to consoles because they could see that consoles were becoming bigger and bigger and they wanted to to milk it if you would milk it mm. like a dairy cow <laughs> yeah <Sega Center Group. laughs> yeah absolutely simon uh <laughs> i mean the the other one that that does uh, come to mind i mean you've got streets of rage that was like almost like sega's answer to double dragon back in the day um I don't really know if that would do well as a, a remaster. It's, it's a well, pretty old. We really got Streets of Rage four recently, and um, I don't know if that did that great. Uh, or you could always bring back uh, Toe Jam and Earl. Uh, from, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, there, there was a, a Toe Jam and Earl uh, back in the groove released in twenty nineteen. Um, mm. Yeah, I. Didn't even realise that, so that one uh, came and went. It's already been done. Yeah, well. Nice car. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Sega, for, for all the, the the stuff that they've done with Sonic the Hedgehog, which, you know, is, is pretty significant. I mean, it's it's been very successful in terms of not just the Sonic the Hedgehog game, but then the spin-off games is like... Uh, their, their rip off of Mario Kart that that wasn't too bad. You've had uh, you know like Doctor Robotnik, uh, Mean Bean Machine, like games like that. Like they're all pretty good titles. So I mean, there's a lot of uh, meat to be had on the Sonic the Hedgehog bone. Um, yeah, mm. but beyond that, I mean, they're, they're just not even in the same ballpark as like a Nintendo with with their roster of of you know amazing characters not only in the mario franchise but you know you've got the metroid the star fox uh the zelda franchises you can just go on and on and and they have so many uh first party um games and characters and everything that that just leave sega in the dust uh to be quite honest Mm. um and i think and and that's kind of yeah, you've got a good point, Joel. That's kind of exactly what's happened in, in time, hasn't it? And, I mean, I think this is kind of Sega's sort of attempt at refreshing a bit of nostalgia for people for the games that were good that they did do back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, at the moment, like like you said, Sonic is really the main standout IP that they have. I mean, besides the Persona series, which is... Um, like so so good i mean mm. persona 5 is just like lick me it's that good mm. um but you know i think that there's a very few amount of things that they do really really well 
And it's now feels like, oh, well, we're sort of running out on that scope of those things that we do really, really well. So we need to kind of bring back those things that people liked in the past that mm. we did better, you know? Because let's, yeah. let's face it, no one is going to give a flying fuck if they decide to bring back like an Alex Kidd in Miracle World, uh, you know, and... Yeah. Emotional! <laughs> I mean, yeah, they just aren't. And, uh, nah. I mean, yeah, all right, it's, keep, yeah. keep bringing out remasters of Toe Jam and Earl Seager. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, a, it's a tricky one. When we talked about Crazy Taxi the other week, you know, my concern is, you know, back in the day when those games were ported to Dreamcast and PlayStation, that they were fantastic. But 20-odd years later when, you know, gaming now has taken such a huge leap, are those games 20 years later still going to hold up? Like... Yeah, that, that's my concern with some of the Sega ones and probably why I probably won't bother, bother with Crazy Taxi and Jet Force Radio. Um, I mean, I think the the, the only reason system that, nostalgia. that <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> haven't gone the same way as Sega and, and the only reason they're still bringing out first-party consoles is they have the IP behind them to, to back it up. Mm. They can, they yeah, can bring sure. out your Mario, your Pokemon... Donkey Kong, all of those titles, like you know, people they're still, system sellers. Yeah, yeah, people still want to see what what's the next Mario Kart going to look like. What's you know, what's the next Super Mario game going to look like after Super Mario Odyssey and and all of that sort of thing. So, um, that's that is Nintendo's huge advantage. Um, yeah, and I, but I think as well as that, Nintendo over the years has become extremely well known for putting out i mean even though there are some questionable titles throughout their history it's it's based on at least a quality experience so the quality of the title is at least you're getting most of the time a, a finished game you're getting a game that's finished you're getting a game that's been been treated with the utmost care in order to come out and actually do very well because they have such a strong reputation to uphold whereas i feel like you know, Sega at the moment feels like they're in this scramble now to try and find ways to make money. And I think that that's, that's a dangerous loop to get into because it's, it's like if you run a burger shop and you make these amazing burgers, but, and then more customers come in and you go, Oh, well, they're kind of getting tired of these burgers. Let's just make as many as we can and like, and get them out because we want to make more money, but the quality of the burger drops significantly. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening with, um, with Sega is that now especially um, we look at kind of Sonic's lifespan over the last 10 years or so we've just not gotten a quality Sonic title since Sonic Generations and I just think that this is um, bar Sonic Mania so I think um, that Sega is really just trying to find ways to reinvigorate the brand a bit more and um, and come up with ways to make more money um, and and bring people back yeah it's a good point, Simone. You know, we all know that you're a huge Sonic fan, so I sort of feel for you in a way that you just wish that Sega would sort of stop fluffing around with some of these distractions and just focus on delivering the best Sonic game that they can because that's what they're known and loved for. Um, and that's where a majority mm. of their fans are interested in what they're doing next as opposed to maybe Crazy Taxi and I keep saying the name wrong on purpose at this point, Jetstar Radio. <laughs> Jet Set Radio Jet Force What is it? Con- I don't know Yeah Jet Set Yeah Well Jet Set Radio Nice car 
All right, well, well let's, let's hand over to uh, Ferg now with a, a bit of information about uh, uh, a new game that could potentially be on the horizon. Yes, thanks, JB. Um, I think it was a few days ago, our friend, great friend of the show, Norman Reedus, casually leaked that Death Stranding 2 is in the works or he's working on. Um, so I didn't play the first Death Stranding game, but it's on my to-do list and something I've been... Um, Wanting to play for a long time. I know you picked it up, JB. Did you have you gotten around to playing it yet? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've sunk maybe fifteen hours into it. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what to make of it. To be quite honest yeah. with you, like the concept and everything is really quite interesting. Um, the 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 main, I guess, um, plot point is sort of. Um, humanity is on the brink of extinction. Um, thanks to these. Um, these sort of creatures that are invisible called BTs. And any time you're sort of going around, you can't see them, but they're out there stalking people. And um, so the world uh, has sort of gone backwards technologically. Um, and then you have all these people that are like couriers that, that travel from place to place delivering medical supplies or parts or whatever the case may be. And they do it all on foot. And they have this tiny little capsule that they carry around on their chest with like a little fetus in it that mm. Um, mm. that they sort of plug into. And that fetus allows them to detect BTs when they're out, out in the world and, and actually like sort of see where they are and be able to sort of avoid them. So it's it's weird, but it's it's a very... It's pretty violent. Like um, it, it sort of... It's it's walking a very fine line, I think, between that survival horror uh, genre and something else. I mean, famously, Hideo Kojima uh, says that that uh, Death Stranding is is its own genre. Like, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's what it's called, but it's like uh, delivery simulation or something like that. Yeah, you know, like it's a got a simulator. It's got a, a strange name, but it, it, he's he's tried to sort of create something that stands apart from everything else and um I've, I've heard a lot of people rave about how good they how how good they think it is um for me i'm i'm not really decided one way or another i might go back and play a bit more of it um but um yeah it's a bit of a strange bit one. of a strange one did you play that one simon and case no. no, Simon won't let us. <laughs> I don't. I don't have this. Like, I think that if you think of it in this way, my least favorite quest in a video game is a fetch quest. <laughs> if I'm doing that as an entire game. It, the game can go shit itself. Uh, this is basically uh, like in my mind. I just feel like that. Um, I think Hideo Kojima has a brilliant mind, and obviously has delivered some amazing experiences in games. But this is one of those games that I feel like um, from anything that I've heard about it probably would have been tailored more to being a television series or a film. Mm. Like I just feel like the concept itself would lend itself better to a a more sort of uh, just a different format, a format that isn't interactive. Because at at the end of the day, when I think of interactive interactivity in video games, you want there to be something for you to do outside of just this kind of this very straightforward thing. I'm delivering this to over here. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, shoot me in the face because I don't really (laughs) want, I don't want to play that. 
you know i get sick of like oh please take this bit of corn to my family it's like mate you've got a horse and cart you take it there yourself you know like i just don't want to do it emotional <laughs> damage <laughs> you know what i mean like i i feel like it would have been a better um better tv show or film than it would be a game but yeah yeah for sure well it's on my wish list so i'm going to get around and play it and i'll see what i think but i've heard yeah very polarizing uh views some people love it some people absolutely hate it so but anyway back to the news so yeah norman reedus um who if you're not familiar with him in this game death stranding he's well known for his role in the walking dead tv series which is uh hugely um popular but yeah, in a recent interview with Leo, um, where he discussed a number of aspects of his career, including his work on the first game, um, he subtly let slip that he'd just started working on a follow-up. So um, on top of that, he also gave a bit of a, I don't know, a cool story about how he originally got the gig for the first um, Death Stranding game, which I'll just read out here. I'm not going to read this guy's name because I'm going to butcher it, so I'll call him Mr. Del Toro who gave me my very first movie, called me up and he said, hey, there's this guy called Hideo Kojima. He's going to call you. Just say yes. And I go, what do you mean say yes? And he said, stop being an arsehole and just say yes. So then in San Diego, Hideo came with a big group of people. He's from Tokyo and he showed me what he'd been working on, which was a game called Silent Hill. I was blown away by what he was showing me and I was like, yes, let's do it. It's not like Miss Pac-Man. It's so realistic. It's so futuristic and it's so complicated and beautiful and I was completely blown away. He then went to talk about basically how much effort he had to put in for the game because he is the main protagonist in the game and he gives not only his voice but basically his appearance um, in the game. He said, it took me maybe two or three years to finish all the mocap sessions and everything. It takes a lot of work. And then when the game out, it just won all these awards and it was a huge thing. And we've just started working on part two of that. So he's, whether he meant to or not, he's basically all but confirmed that it's actually happening the next game. So I'm sure all the marketing team up at um, uh, up at Sony are all scratching their heads now because he's sort of blown the lid on that one. But, you know, up until then, there'd been absolutely nothing. There'd been crickets from everyone around that game. That's it. So, you know, Kojima or Sony, they hadn't mentioned anything. So while it's not officially been confirmed... Um, it'd be a pretty strange comment to make if things weren't actually happening. So, Well, you heard it here first on the Discerning Gamer. Uh, D- Death Stranding Part 2 in the works. This news is... Too hot to handle. Oh, thank you, and Ferg. It's, it, it's not the only sort of news that's been broken that's sort of, I don't know, blown the lid on something that's coming up. Another one that's more recent even is, um, I don't know if you guys are Stranger Things fans, but the Season 4 is out tomorrow. Um, and during the week, um, Netflix and Monopoly are doing a bit of a co- collaboration to co- coincide with the release, and they're going to put out a Stranger Things Monopoly version. And what they didn't realize is they started advertising it, and basically there was enough information on the board to give away the spoilers for this season. So everyone's up, upset there, and I've been doing my best to keep away. Um there's also been some, you know, data mining's huge now. So any live surface game, there's nearly next to no surprises because people are going in and looking through the code and basically working out what's happening and, and you know, spilling the beans before it actually is announced. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting in this day and age. It's sort of hard to keep a secret for too long, which is maybe not a good thing. I don't know if you guys have got any examples that you can think of. I can of think of any. one right off the top of my head now. Yeah. 
right before uh, George Lucas brought out Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, they released the soundtrack, like, I don't know if it was a, a week or a couple of months ahead of the movie's release, and one of the tracks on the album is called The Death of Qui-Gon. So it's a pretty that's a pretty massive spoiler for the for the movie, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's another thing. Like you know, I guess some some things just get past the radar, don't they? That's it. I don't know. I find it kind of amuses me that you know Norman Reedus is just doing his own thing and he's just dropped the bomb on that one, and he probably is not too fussed either way. But um, the other good one that I always remember, which isn't video game related, but he guys the the hottest one hundred which is the big annual Triple J. Everyone votes for their favourite song of the year. And uh, it used to typically used to be on Australia Day. The date's changed now. But I think it was in 2009. Um, I think the winner that year was Mumford & Sons with their song Little Lion Man. And it was like two or three weeks before the countdown. At that point, Triple J was still doing their JMAG, which was their monthly magazine. And on the front cover, they had something written like, we sit down with Mumford & Son." to chat about their hottest 100 win or something. And that sort of <laughs> did the rounds like it wouldn't have been two months. It might have been a couple of weeks before the actual countdown. And so you had a week of Triple J trying to put a lid on everything saying, oh, no, no, don't read into it. It still was a mistake. Don't worry about it. And then listening to 99 songs only to find out that Mumford & Sons was the actual winner is a bit disappointing. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame when, when things get slipped. Um, obviously, there's going to be some really big Death Stranding fans who are probably... A, excited, but it might have been a bit nicer if they found out in different circumstances, mm. but these things happen. Mm. Well, Death Stranding. Nice car. <laughs> certainly found some places to put that in. You know, yeah. at, least, um, at least when he said that it was happening, he didn't give away like any spoiler points, like say a Tom Holland every two seconds leaping out what's going to happen in the next Marvel film. You know, like yeah. I think that's kind of... That, from that point of view, at least it kind of builds a little bit of hype. It's not killing the hype. And I think yeah. that's a, a healthy kind of um, sort of leak and rumour rather than, you know, finding out that somebody's going to die in a game or somebody's going to die in a film and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think it's, um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. That's a good point, Simo. He hasn't blown the lid on uh, plot points and stuff like that. He's just more or less said it's happening. So we'll just wait and see for official word from... Hideo and his and his crew and we'll wait and see and maybe I'll get around to playing the first one before the second one comes out. Maybe I'll put the, put that on the list that I'll, of games I'll buy a few JB because you're uh, not enjoying them so much after Elden Ring. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> uh, I, I probably haven't given um, Death Stranding its full full due yet. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm I will go back to it. I just don't know when. It's um, yeah, it's a, it's a long game. Mm-hmm. It's a very long game. So, uh, speaking of long games, we're we're going to dive back into a segment that we that we tried earlier in the year um, called "Where Did the Time Go?" Tell me where did the time go? And uh, this is all about games that we've invested a ridiculous amount of time into, and uh, you know, perhaps perhaps more than more than you'd. Uh, care to admit to sometimes but uh we're gonna kick this off with uh, with you ferg and uh which which game would you like to uh share with us this evening yeah thanks jb the game i'm gonna bring up is a game that i've recently jumped 
back into after many years off, um, and that's the free-to-play MMORPG developed by ArenaNet, published by NC Soft called Guilds, Guild Wars 2. It's been 84 <laughs> years, and so, I can still smell the fresh paint. Yeah, so what's interesting about this game is, is maybe not so much the total hours that are put on, put into playing this game, but just over the time period. So... I checked my playtime before we came on, and I played about 300 hours, which for you know an MMORPG isn't crazy. I remember we were telling—I was telling the story the other week about the guy that had played 10 hours every day for I don't <laughs> know a serious amount of time. But it's 300 hours over 3,344 days. So wow, this game came out in 2012, and I think I picked it up looking and crunching the numbers. It looks like it's about six months after it came out, so it was the beginning of 2013. So it's a game that I've played, um, obviously, a lot when it came out. I had a break, played it a bit, had a massive break, and now I'm back playing again. But, yeah, it's it's a fantastic game. Um, you know, it's beautiful. It's got interesting worlds, interesting characters, um, and probably the big thing which sort of draws me back to it and keeps me a little bit hooked is up until 2012, I'd played a fair bit of WoW on and off, but had a couple of gripes. And for me, Guild Wars 2 sort of squashes the two biggest gripes that I had with that game. And um, they are they, the first one is that it's there's no subscription, which is fantastic. Mm. So, you know, WoW, you got to part with, I think it's about 30 bucks a month. Um, every month and that's after you buy the games whereas yeah Guild Wars 2 when it came out and a bit of a side side note a bit of a side story it's the last physical PC game I can remember buying um, in 2012 I went into EB Games and bought a disc and it was it cost me 80 bucks at that point um, but now it's actually free to play up to level 80 and you only pay for bonus content so yeah now it's yeah, free. You can jump in and play whenever you want. It's a fantastic game. Um, the other thing that it squashed, which I didn't like about WoW and someone's brought up already tonight, is that it basically removed fetch quests completely. So um, there's no going up to someone, triggering a fetch quest, going and doing it, running it back to them. You sort of move around the world, and when you get in certain areas up in the top right-hand corner, you basically say you get a message saying, this is what you need to do. And if you want to go and talk to the character that you're doing said mission for, you can, and you can, you know, try trade and and buy things. So those two things um, are fantastic, and what always bring me back. And just interesting on Guild Wars Two again, another reason why I got back into it is it's going to be a big year for the game. Um, they've just released their third expansion, um, which is called End of Dragons, which came out, I think it was February, and this year will be their tenth ten year anniversary. And they're also they've been talking about it for a long time, but they're looking to port port the game essentially to steam so as soon as a free to get free to play game ends up on steam the player count's going to go through the roof so it's going to be really good to be you know in the world when the population base goes through the roof and yeah it's just a lot of fun it's a great game and you know i always think every time i play it if if any anyone ever came to me and said look i've just got a pc I've spent all my money on it. I'm dead broke. Can you recommend me any games that aren't going to cost me much to get into? And Guild Wars 2 is, is huge. The amount of content you can get for literally $0 is incredible. Um, and after having a fair bit of time off, I went back and bought the expansions, all three of them, and I think it was $40 for the three expansions. Wow. So, you know, for 40 
you know, I spent 80 bucks when I bought the game, so I've spent 120 bucks and I've had over 300 hours. If you're looking to play for free, you don't have to spend anything. So, yeah, it's an amazing game, beautiful game, a lot of fun, and um, value for money on this one as well, which I really like. And I'll leave you asking. Tell me, where did the time go? Absolutely. All right, fantastic. What about you, uh, Simon? What what game would you like to talk about? Prick up your ears. Get out your Nintendo 3DS, and if you don't have one, what the hell are you doing? Go and buy one just to play this game. It's called Fantasy Life. It's been 84 years, (laughs) and I can still smell the fresh paint. Oh, my God. This, I just can't even. This game is just unreal. I... I've always been a bit of a fan of Level 5 as a publisher. It's a bit sad that Level 5 are no longer making games anymore that are going to come out into our regions and things like that. I don't even think they're going to make games full stop. I think Level 5 has just gone whew, down the down the uh, proverbial toilet. But um, it's Emotional damage! <laughs> <laughs> it's sad because this game was my favourite Level 5 game that was ever released. And um, it's Fantasy Life for the 3DS. It's basically, in a nutshell, it's a game that's it's got a little plot to it. The plot is, you know, a, a strange purple meteorite falls into a into like the land that you live in, and it sets off this prophecy, and you're a part of that prophecy somehow. So you've got to go out and and fulfill it, or figure out what the hell's going on in this town, and all this kind of stuff. And um, the the main sort of axis of the game is that it gives you an option to carry out the entire story based off of a particular career path you want to follow. So you can be a cook, you can be a seamstress, you can be like a knight, you can be a magician, you could be um, hunter. A, a hunter, like an archer. It just gives you so many different options of how to play the game. And each one of them is tailored to figure out, like you can still play the entire story by doing either one of these lives. But at any point, if you're kind of like, oh, I'm half the way through being like a knight and I don't really like it, you can just kind of stop and go and start a new life and do something else. But if you master each of those different skills, you get a whole bunch of different things that help like get, get you sort of further in the world. And I mean, they even released DLC for this game and the DLC was just like, I'd already poured, I think, well, I don't know, yeah, it was yeah. something disgusting amount of hours into this game because because it was that handheld experience. I just take it everywhere when I first started playing it. I'd play it in my breaks at work. I'd play it when I get home. I'd play it in the morning. I'd wake up and be like, fantasy life, <laughs> suck it. You know, like, oh, and this is the thing is just, it's one of those games that I think, in a nutshell, captured a real essence of um, just that fun of exploration. I mean, you didn't have to engage in combat if you didn't want to, but if you didn't want to engage in combat, you'd be one of those particular life sets that you could go out and explore for certain things and gather raw materials, kind of like, you know, these Stardew Valleys or kind of like animal crossing in a weird way, you know, but, and then you'd go back and you'd use those raw materials and break them down and then sell them off to people because they need them for certain things, or you would become a chef. So you'd have to go out and harvest food from all across the land in order to bring it back and cook certain things for people. Or, you know, if you're a hunter, people would send you out on hunting quests. They'd be like, Hey, and then it becomes like monster hunter. Right. So you got to go out and be like, Oh, this dragon thing is, 
Like it's messing what? up my shit. Like go what out you, and kill what it. What do you play as? I think I finished the game as a hunter. Oh, I finished it as the paladin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Paladin, which I keep calling a knight. Yeah. But um, it, I just found that the variety in the game just kept me coming back to it. And I mean, when you start a new life and you start all the different quests that are tailored to that particular life. I kind of want to play it now. <laughs> it just doesn't. It's just this continuous thing that is extremely satisfying and fun to play. And it's not like it's overly, you know, complicated or anything, but it just hooks you. And it's such a good world to explore as well. And I just, I mean, again, the DLC unreal but i mean like uh what was amazing about it is that i finished the game and if you finish the game and max out your life then you go to this next part of the game and so it kind of just keeps on going and it's just like this experience that never ends but i, I urge anyone that has a 3ds or anyone that doesn't have a 3ds yet just pull your finger out your bum and go and buy one <laughs> and get this one game for it emotional damage <laughs> And play it. It is unreal. It is such a good game. And it's just so sad yeah. that the, the sequel that they brought out for this game was a mobile-only game that happened on Android and iOS and it only happened in Japan. And it's just like, it seems like such a backhanded and sad thing to happen for a, for a game for me. It was one of my favourite 3DS experiences. And I just think that that more people need to need to pick it up and play it and hopefully one day it will get picked up by somebody and turned into a proper sequel you know that isn't just sad and mobile gaming experiences but yeah that's it fantasy life fantasy life we'll yeah leave. leave more people asking tell me where did the time go for sure <laughs> C-Mac what have you got for us yes well my game is Puyo Puyo Tetris on the Switch it's been 84 years and I can still smell the fresh paint. <laughs> <laughs> we love yeah, so Puyo Puyo Tetris, I reckon I had a quick look before we came on, about 170 hours plus on this game, me and Simon. Pretty All much right. just a yeah, that's that's a lot for a puzzle game. That's not even counting yeah. the hours of this game that we played in Japan at a video game cafe and we played it on PS3. Puyo Puyo Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> nice car. <Nice. laughs> <laughs> Pretty much just a puzzle game, which is sort of a mashup of Tetris and Puyo Puyo, which is, you know, a tile color matching kind of game. A bit like little beans that are little characters and you just got to match four of them, match the colors together and make them disappear. And there's a lot of game modes and we just choose to do the swap mode, which is where you play about, I don't know, about a minute. Is it? Yeah, around about. around about a minute of Puyo Puyo and then it swaps over to Tetris and you've just got to keep going till someone loses and we just do best of three that way. You know, the more lines as in normal Tetris that you you break sort of impact the opponent with unusable grey blocks. And the same with Puyo Puyo just drops these sort of unusable grey Puyos that you've got to sort of... It, it's just a puzzle game. And we mm. play dumb amounts of it, like dumb, stupid amounts. We mm. do when we, went on, we used to go on holidays back in the day. We just would play this to to death, this game. And yeah. the thing that we would do when we were like, "Oh, the day's done now. So what, what do you want to do? Let's play a puyo and have a drink." <laughs> and it's just yeah, it's unreal. But then yeah. you get caught in this like never stopping because you do best of three. It's like all right, now now best three of three. 
<laughs> and then it just never ended. And then it was midnight. We're like, oh, this is ridiculous. This yeah. is just a puzzle game. <laughs> it was just midnight, yeah, and probably... then you were wondering. Tell me where did the time go? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But well, this is like the up. evolution, JB, of um of Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. So that so Puyo Puyo was released in Japan as like a, a few times, like one, two, and three as a C game that released on a few different platforms, and then um, Mean Bean Machine was basically a reskin of that game. And then now, because everybody knows it's Puyo Puyo now, um, you know, when I first looked at this game, I was like, oh, this looks amazing because it's like Mean Bean Machine meets Tetris. And I mean, uh, as simple as it gets, that's what it is. And it's just like so addictive. It's just addictive. I think that's the whole thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, there's nothing to it. There's no story. There is a story, but we just skipped through the entire yeah, thing. The story was rubbish. Yeah, there you go. And even Poyo Poyo uh, is almost like uh, very similar to like Dr. Mario from back in the day. Like there's a lot of similarities there. Um, But I I remember just having my my ass handed to me time and time again playing against you on Mean Bean Machine, Simo. (laughs) uh, Yeah. You're a bit of a bit of a beast when it comes to that uh, that particular game. So uh, I'm a Puyo Puyo shark for sure. Hey, you found your match with me though. Sometimes. Talking a bit of smack there, C Mac. Wow. Oh, don't you worry. I'm going to go and hand it to her after this. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Simon's going to hand his ass to Casey, and uh, that news is red hot. Um, So. The game that I wanted to uh, talk about, well, it's it's sort of a game and its sequel, uh, and it's a game called uh, Majesty the Fantasy Kingdom. It's been 84 years, and I can still smell the fresh paint. So Majesty was a, a real-time strategy game developed by Cyberlaw Studios, and published by Hasbro Interactive under the Micro Pros brand name for Windows, uh, it came out in the year two thousand. So, um, basically, the idea of the game, um, much in the same way that you you're doing a lot of real time strategies, you have you start off with with your your main base. Uh, you start off like with a castle at the center. You then uh, go and build um, buildings off you know around it and uh each building that you build lets you build four heroes that that are related to that building so you build like a barracks and you can build four knights that come out of the barracks and and go off and fight for you um you build like a i think it was like a rogues building and you can build four rogues um there was there was a whole bunch of different buildings but one one thing that set Majesty apart from other real time strategy games is you had no direct control over any of the units, so you couldn't actually mm-hmm. select a unit and send it off to fight. What you would do, and this is the only game that I know of that has this mechanic, is um, you would uh, set a reward flag on something. So let's say you wanted your heroes to go and attack an enemy uh, layer. You would set a reward flag on it and then offer like, you know, 400 gold reward for that to be destroyed. And then depending on how high the reward was set would depend on how many heroes were drawn to go and attack that. And they would all do it off their own back. And then you make Mm. the money back uh, 
when your heroes come back into town to buy potions and to buy upgrades for their weapons and armor and and so they end up buying stuff back from you to make themselves better and then you know go off and do more stuff and you could set you could set an explore flag to go and explore parts of the map that were still shrouded and um and certain characters are more likely to want to go and explore than others and certain characters are more likely to want to attack than others and in majesty 2 you could also set like a a defend flag so you could you could say i want i want as many people as possible to hang around this spot and just defend it from enemy attacks hmm. and it's just one of these games like the the missions themselves were quite enjoyable and really bloody tough as well like um some of the the mission objectives just you know you, you try the mission 10 times before you finally uh, manage to to get through and even then you know half the time i was looking online for some strategy guides walkthroughs anything that could sort of give me an edge to try and uh you know do better um but the the game i felt really shone when you when you went into like the skirmish type modes where it was just you know you just had your castle you didn't have any general objectives you just had to go and destroy all the enemy layers on the on the map and it sort of scales so you have ones that are really close to your your main castle and the the enemies that come out of it are fairly low level and then the further out you go the enemies get tougher and tougher and then um and as you progress through the mission like for the first sort of five to ten minutes it's only low level enemies that spawn and attack then you start to get you know high level enemies within like sort of 20 minutes and then like by the time you get to the 30 minute mark you're just getting smashed by dragons mm. and all these really high level enemies that are just absolutely destroying your your heroes and everything but mm. really really good game can't recommend it enough especially if you if you're a big fan of real time strategy like myself and um yeah, I mean, it, it looks a bit dated now. I don't know if it's on Steam, but I know um, uh, there are some places. I think it is on Steam, yeah, actually, Majesty <clears throat> 1 and 2. Um, really, really good. Definitely check it out if you get the opportunity. Yeah, that's a really interesting... Yeah, I can't think of any games off the top of my head which run a similar mechanic there's obviously heaps of simulation games where you obviously have you know like an employee and you pay them to do different things but one where you've sort of got that dynamic but it's disguised as like an age of empires type um you know age of empires world sort of aesthetic that's yeah really interesting and you're right it is on is on steam if anyone wants to check it out um yeah that's an interesting one jb yeah yeah have you ever played that one uh, simon or casey no, no, I'd, I'd never really got amongst PC games until only very recently. But um, listening to it, it's might, might be something I have to look into because um, I used to love like Age of Empires a little bit mm. when I was a kid. That was kind of the main sort of yeah, I, guess, I played a little bit of that sort of hardcore PC experience I had as a kid. <laughs> Other than that, it was Commander Keen and you know oh, yeah. Duke Nukem and like me pretending to write on floppy disks and hoping that I'd just get the sequels to those games if I put it in the computer. <laughs> um, but you know, like <laughs> I was a real twisted little man. Um, but you know, like that was as far as I got. And then when Age of Empires and Mevis Bacon, you know, Typing Shooter came out. The world changed. You know? I mean, I really liked uh, Age of Vampires, you know, except for when people used to get the big birth out. So I'm, I'm, I'm into that. 
Well, I, I just had a look then. So Majesty, uh, Majesty Gold HD, and Majesty Two are both on Steam for fourteen dollars fifty Australian, um, which seems still <laughs> quite expensive for a game that's been out as long as it has. Um, or you can get the Majesty Two Collection, which comes with all the DLC for thirty three dollars, which. Uh, comes with the Kingmaker expansion, Battles of Ardania, and Monster Kingdom. And Monster Kingdom, uh, that expansion is probably the best one out of the whole lot. Where uh, instead of building all the human characters, it flips the script and you become the king of the monsters, and you start building your your orcs and werewolves and all the the sort of characters that you're used to fighting in the game. Um, and that one just is excellent really 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 good Um, and another one where you'll just leave yourself saying tell me where did the time go and speaking of time we are fresh out this week on the discerning gamer i'd like to thank everyone for being with us this week and of course i would like to thank the dg crew starting with casey c mac mclaughlin thank you very much casey Thank you, Joel. And also the gaming chef, Simon Steely McLaughlin. Thanks for being with us, Simo. Thank you, Joel, for having us in your humble abode, being Ferg's house, being through the computers <laughs> in Zoom to you. I love that. <laughs> You're welcome, Steely. And uh, I'd also like to thank Fergus Fergamon Hamilton, the Sultan of Steam himself. Thank you, Ferg. My pleasure, JB. Can't wait to do it again next week. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, we are The Discerning Gamer on Facebook. We are Discerning Gamer Podcast on Instagram. Uh, you can get us at Discerning Pod on Twitter if you want to drop us a drop us a line. And uh, we are Discerning Gamer Podcast at gmail.com.au if you want to send us an email and do things that way. And if you could drop us a five-star review on whichever podcast catcher is your choice, that would also be much appreciated. We love you all, and we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. See ya.